Good morning. This is the first podcast of the Father's Heart in which we are introducing the theme song. So make sure you listen to the end of the podcast. We are introducing You Are Mine, I Called You By Name by Nate Utley. Good morning. This is Tom Clark with the Father's Heart and Papa Tom's Tales. Papa Tom. I'm here this morning with my good friend Dave Henderson to discuss the spiritual aspects behind defunding the police. Before I start, I'd like to also mention that we have now completed our theme song and it will be on this podcast later next week when we will introduce the theme song. It will come at the end of the podcast and it is our intention to go back on all the former podcasts and add the theme song to the end of those. So you'll have the opportunity to listen to about a four-minute beautiful song created by a collaboration between Nate Utley and Tom Clark himself. Together we collaborated, but Nate's really the the musical genius behind this, and it's his voice, uh, his songwriting capabilities. I help a little bit with the the words and the lyrics, but he's really the one, um, and he's got such a sensitive heart, Nate. Um, uh, very sensitive to the spirit of God and the title of the, the theme song is Your Mind I Called You By Name it's out of Isaiah 43 the first verse it actually was used again by the chosen in episode season one episode one at the end where Yeshua Jesus is talking to Lilith who he actually is actually Mary Magdalene and uh, calls her Mary Anyway, that's the theme song. Um, it'll start off very sensitive, but then really picks up as you listen to it. So uh, we are sure that you'll enjoy it. And when you're driving your car or listen to the podcast, I'm sure you'll be blessed by it. So with that in mind, um, I just got back from a trip. I was in Charleston, South Carolina, and out on the beach with my family. Our beach vacation was at the um, Isle of Palms right next to Wild Dunes. And um, from there, I traveled to Orlando and uh, by the grace of God, was there to help with my sister um, who was 64 years old and she had a brain hemorrhaging, uh, unfortunately about two weeks before. And I went there that God brought me down there to anoint her with oil. And she passed away Tuesday morning, um, 9.29 in the morning. Um, It was, sad in one place but also joyous for us because we knew it was coming and it was a blessing to see her pass in such a peaceful and restful way uh, while i was coming back i was praying and wrestling to certain things that were coming about uh, on the uh, on the airplane and the lord began to speak to me about this whole spirit behind defunding the police and that the defending of the police um, the energy behind it is another attack against God and specifically another attack against the Father's heart of God. Because as you've been listening to many of our podcasts, we talk about everything to do with the Father's heart. Malachi 4, 6, at the end of the age, he'll bring the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And the three main aspects of having a Father's heart from God as it expresses itself through people not gender specific, it could be men or women, 
is the heart to protect, the heart to provide, and the heart to teach. So when I was thinking about defunding the police. I said, how does that relate to your heart, Father? And he said, well, I've shown you that it's in my heart to protect. And the police, as they were designed to be, were there to protect the community. And when you take away the funding for the police, when you take away the um, number of police, the presence of police, you allow the darkness to move into that community. That's why you have to go just even ask uh, in the um, inner cities and you ask in the minority communities, do you want them to defund the police? They say, hell no, we don't want to defend the police, take the funding away from the police. We like the police here. We want the police here. Even though you have some bad apples here and there, and those are obviously uh, police officers who do not have the heart of God, by and large, the whole purpose of them being there is to protect. And so if they're not there, there's no protection for the community, and that's attack against the heart of the Father who wants to provide protection to the community as one of his main uh, themes, one of the main um, movements in the heart of God is, is to protect. Uh, and you can see it expressing itself in the wrong way, and it's part and parcel with the same spirit that came out of the women's movement and came out of these different evil thoughts that came in to attack the masculinity of men, to emasculate men, so they didn't grow and develop to be fathers, so they didn't grow and develop into having the thought behind them or their motivation being to protect, provide, and teach. The young men don't become those people, though don't mature as uh, young men don't mature into it, young women don't mature into it, but particularly the knocking them out of their growth and development knocks them out of the family, so the families fall apart, and then the social fabric of society comes apart, and this is another attempt to, um, for anarchy, to eliminate the um, protection in the community that police provide. They're one of the last, when you don't have an adult to protect the children, when you don't have fathers in the community to begin with, and the mothers need to protect them, and the mothers can't protect them, and then you take the police out too, it's, you know, a hellhole. It's just a, it's just a, a, a place of um, complete lawlessness. And as we know, the scripture talks about the man of lawlessness. But in part of this discussion, when I was discussing with Dave, uh, he mentioned to me, that in his experience as a street preacher, that there was always a collaboration in a good way at times between the street preachers and when the church, the true church, decided to focus in on a community, and he'll mention three communities that this happened to in the D.C. area, that the, as soon as they, the church decided to focus on the community, the police came on their heels and decided to protect it. So you can see the Spirit of God moving through the church and the Spirit of the heart of the Father not only moving through the church, but even in the secular world, in a sense, beginning to get the attention of the police department. And this is one of the things that um, that I noticed in uh, doing outreach, and primarily doing outreach in the areas of public housing is where I've been uh, concentrating when I went into D.C. at the time, uh, D.C. was the murder capital of the world. 
And I really felt impelled by God to reach out to the young men, young women that were on the streets of the city and in these public housing areas, which is, of course, you know, the uh, kind of wild town. So I felt I felt impressed to find out what area of the city was the most problem. And I, I came to this uh, place called Valley Green, which is in southeast Washington. And so on a couple trips through there, I found there was nobody on the streets in the daytime. So I decided, well, you know, if I really want to reach these, I got to be out here when the guys are out here. So I would uh, start going out there in the evenings, take the bus up there and then uh, drop off and then um, spend a couple hours up on the streets, buttonholing folks for the Lord. Did you bring a bulletproof vest? <laughs> there are no bulletproof vests, but there are a lot of shootings. At the time, Valley Green had uh, three to five uh, uh, shootings a week where people were shot and most of them killed. Is It was considered the prime area. So that's why I went there. It was uh, the prime area to really do a, a work. And I really pressed. And I, I talked to a lot of people. We did, the, the Lord opened the door for us to uh, get an apartment in one of these in, in Valley Green area, um, in which the actual first thing we did is uh, they had to unweld the doors that were holding the apartment locked. So I don't want to go in there and, you know, use drugs and stuff in there. But the very first thing we did after they unwelded the doors had to scrape all the brains off it from the guy that was shot there the night before. Wow. And uh, a guy had been shot uh, 18 or 20 times right in our door. Wow. And it was just like the Lord was saying, you know, it's this bad. It can always go up from here, right? It can get better from here. So uh, I started noticing something. I brought in a crew of young men. And I said, I want some guys to live here and we'll just hit this community day and night, hit this community day and night, and we'll start reaching every guy that's on the street. Not, not the um, established people, but the guys, the dope guys. That's the problem. And when I decided I wanted to go ahead and get a place to do that in, I met with a, um, uh, a lady who ran HUD for the city of DC. And she told us, she said, look, she goes, uh, we've had the guardian angels. We had the Muslims. We had the red hat brigade. We had the police league. She said, everybody comes here and they, we give them an opportunity to do whatever they want to do. She said, but nobody reaches the young men. And I told her, I said, well, you know, this is, this is our direction. We want to reach the young guys. The young guys are the ones shooting everybody. What age are we talking about? Huh? What age? We're talking probably between 12 and 20. 12 and 20. Yeah, that's about the, that's about the average age that's out there because it's a young game on the street. The mm -hmm. older guys are in jail. Mm -hmm. You know, many of them are sitting in jail or they've been shot or whatever. So we're aiming at that. And so she said, look, if you promise me that you'll reach the young men, I'll give you one of those three-bedroom apartments and you can have it for free. Electricity, water, everything. I said, okay, we're doing it, right? So we jumped in there. And I noticed an interesting thing. We, we very strongly pressed, because there's three to five murders a week in Valley Green, and we very strongly pressed and said, hey, we're going to really push this through. We're going to be there every night. I was on the street there every single night, uh, buttonholing these guys, you know, getting to know the guys, trying to get them into the Lord. Uh, you know, guys are driving through doing shootings, all the kind of stuff that's going on. It's kind of wild town, right? 
you know, someone will just drive through there and just start shooting because they're from another another uh, community and they're going to shoot up that area. So we finally got it to the point where it became noticed by the police department, which was not far from there. There's a 7th District Police Department. It became noticed that there was less murders. We went from like three to five murders a week. Then it dropped down to like one murder a week. So Chief Peddington, who eventually left D.C. and became the head of New Orleans Police Department, uh, decided to hold a meeting He's from the 7th District. and said, let's have a meeting with the police department and these guys that are in there in this Valley Green, see what they're doing. It's working, right? <laughs> see what, how the police, the successful police yeah. is doing this. So, so we had this he meeting. He must have thought that it was the police that were doing it. But there was no police there. The police were afraid of the police. <laughs> the only police that were coming into Valley Green were what was called the Jump Out Squad, yeah. which usually amounted to a bunch of guys that are pretty rough, you know, SWAT guys. And they, were, they would grab everybody wearing a green army coat and uh, a black kid wearing a green army coat. That's everybody on the street, right? That's every single guy who used in those days was wearing these green army coats that they had after the war in Vietnam. So anyway, um, we had a meeting, this big gathering, and the, uh, the um, gang guys came by and shot up the building we were in <laughs> with the police. There are 20-some police cars out front. They're shooting up the building, right? And so it became really... The uh, police department said, what do we do? And, and, you know, thankfully the Lord gave us wisdom to tell them, listen, why don't you change the way you police? You're making enemies. Every time you come here and throw down 35 guys on the ground because they have a green army coat on and they fit the 18-year-old category of black male, I said, why don't you change the kind of policing you do and do a community kind of police? And so they sent in an officer, an officer actually named Officer Irby, and we started working with them, and all of a sudden, we're going six months, no murders, zero murders in Valley Green, zero. And then we got about to the year uh, point, and the uh, uh, city council wants to find out what's going on here. You know, Valley Green, three or five murders a week, got people being shot all the time. That's just the people murdered. Then you got all those shootings going on, kids, adults, it's a main dope center. What happened in Valley Green? So they sent in the uh, city council came in. And the ironic thing about it was the city council wanted to have a meeting, find out what happened. So they come in and they are carrying the, the guys surrounding the city council, all these cops carrying Uzis. <laughs> you never see Uzis out, right? But they're openly carrying because they're scared to death of the reputation Valley Green has. So the meeting was over at the community center. And I'm late for the meeting, right? <laughs> so I come to the meeting, and all of a sudden, they jack me up. They got me up against the wall, and they're searching me down. They wouldn't let me in the meeting because they somehow saw me as a threat. You know, being probably being the only non-black person in the entire community at that time, right? So they jacked me up. They wouldn't let me in, which was good for the long run because the mayor uh, was down there and asked the uh, – uh, and this is uh, – I think it's Mayor – uh, Sharon Pratt Kelly, asked the people of Valley Green, said, what in the world happened here? And they told him, they said, Jesus came to Valley Green. And the great irony about it was, was in talking to Officer Irby, and I became very close friends with Officer Irby, and talking to Officer Irby, um, 
one of the things that really happened is the police presence came in there, but it didn't come in there as a jump out squad. Just grab everybody, knock them to the ground, you know, search them all down. What it came in as a community policing organization where they had the Boys and Girls Club set up there as a police Boys and Girls Club. Officer Irby and another officer came in. And then we worked in conjunction with those guys getting, you know, getting kids help. And uh, guys would walk up to him after there was a, a robbery or an incident of a shooting. And just as they were walking and passing, walking down the sidewalk, they tell them who did the shooting, which had never happened. You, the thing that makes these communities very problematic is that the, the police are viewed as the enemies, even of the people living there, know that the police might be the only hope they have in a situation. They never tell what happens. That's why Chicago has like 55, 60% of the murders will never be solved. All of these urban areas, they'll never be solved. I think DC is over 55%, never solved because of the fact of these kind of things. And I noticed the same thing was true going into, uh, into uh, from Valley Green went to, to Berry Farms, which is a high, high murder rate too. And, uh, and the same type of thing happened. The same with the police coming in. After a couple of months, all of a sudden it just dawns on the police and they are thinking of this as their own idea. You know, explain to us why they wouldn't tell the police and then why they changed and were willing to tell the police. Well, one of the reasons they won't tell the police is because there's so much corruption. And, and this is a this is an incident, uh, incident type stuff that happened. Like one night I was doing a little Bible study over on 37th and B Street in Southeast, which is right on the edge of Southeast over by Kenilworth Parkside. And as I was coming out of the Bible study, uh, a young guy, he's probably 14 years old is what I, what I heard he was. Um, just as I was coming out, I was going down to my van, which says Jesus loves you on the side. And he stepped out of the bushes right next to me and shot a car full of guys 14 times and then stepped back into the bushes. And, uh, and so when, when I, uh, you know, I was like, wow, it's kind of shocking. Everything slowed down. You know how it slows down. You go, the shots are just bang, bang. I literally went down in slow motion. And uh, then when he stopped and that whole car full of guys had been shot up, um, my first thought is, hey, what do I do? The guy steps back into the bushes. This is a kid. This is not an adult. This is a kid. 14-year-old kid? 14-year-old kid. Sticks his smoking gun in his pants like you see on cowboy movies, TV, or whatever. And walks up to me as cool as a cucumber and says, do you have any candy in your bed? And it just became real to me on that moment. Because I'd seen a number of shootings, but never that close by that these kids are cold-blooded. They've been raised to be cold-blooded killers. They've got no fathers in their lives. They're all, all uh, fatherless kids. Uh, most of them have been in and out of the system. They're cold-blooded. They're just fighting for territory. And everybody in the, in the entire area, when the first shot went off, I was the only guy that was standing on that street. And the street had been crowded with people. I don't know how. I still, to this day, don't know how they all disappeared so fast. Everybody was scared to death of these little gangbangers that ran the neighborhoods. That's why they don't talk. If you talk, you're going to get killed. That's the, con that's the concept. So having the community officer in there when you could kind of just pass him on the sidewalk and say, hey, this is what happened. This is what I saw. Just say the name. As they walk by, they start their investigation. But as far as going down to the police station, in fact, I, I called up um, 
Otis, whose brother worked for the uh, uh, district police station of that area. And I said, uh, ask your brother what I should do about this. I could, I could report the shootings, you know, because it was a, an incident, a big incident, right? You shoot 14 times at these four guys in a car, right? And uh, his brother told Otis to tell me, don't tell anybody down here. This Minnesota Avenue police station, this place is utterly corrupt. They're full of these gang guys, and they'll just go tell the gang guy that you were the guy that told him you're never going back in that area. And so uh, I had to not be able to tell anything I saw just for the ability to go back into there's a problem with these sure. these it things. So how did that change? How did that change that mindset when you, as a uh, street preacher, went in there to gain confidence with the people? It was just the fact that you were able to uh, communicate in passing with the police officers what they were and, and the informants, so to speak, were not identified by name? Well, I could go into the, you know, I could work with the police department um, because of the fact that I'm an outsider coming in and I've been on the streets already. In fact, the ironic thing was a, uh, a rumor went around <laughs> that there's this white guy that was a policeman in disguise pretending to be a street preacher in all of these public housing areas that was coming in at night. They thought I was part of the part of the police department, which was kind of funny because I was having a lot of problems from the police department at the time. The police department resented me being out there. And I had a couple undercover cops uh, that were in these guys saying, hey, uh, what are you guys, uh, what are you doing out here? You know, trying to give me a hard time for being there and, and have been uh, arrested a couple of times by the police for being in the public places. But I noticed that once they, once we really said, I'm gonna really concentrate on this area and ground pounded the area, you know, most for me, it was mostly going in at nighttime when the kids were on the streets because the kids are not on the streets in the daytime, the gangbangers. So it's going in at nighttime, kind of working my way through there, going up to the crack house doors and talking to each individual one after another after another, that all of a sudden the police department start taking that on themselves and they start saying, gee, we need to clean up Valley Green. We need to clean up Prairie Farm. We need to clean up uh, Potomac Gardens. We need to clean up Montana Terrace. We need to clean up Kenilworth Parkside. What I hear you saying is that because of the corruption in the police department organizationally, the local people, the communities were afraid and didn't trust the police department. Exactly. So, so what happened was when you went in and we began to talk to them and you began to change the atmosphere, trust was beginning to be developed. And when trust is developed, right, then uh, lines of communication are formed. When lines of communication are formed, things began to move in a positive direction. So um, that's really how the spirit of God moves, really, in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in a very natural way to affect change in communities. I uh, told you another story that I uh, had the occasion to meet a gentleman down in Lynchburg, Virginia, who was a, both a teacher and a police officer. Let's call, he was Italian by background, so let's call him Tony. That's not his actual name. And Tony told me stories about how uh, he had been a teacher first before he became a police officer and would teach younger kids in the elementary schools and up until uh, high school ages. And um, years afterwards, uh, let's say five or 10 years after he was a teacher, uh, he became a police officer. And when he was called into the, well, what's called the bad areas of Lynchburg, um, he was willing to go in there and have a conversation with them. And they recognized who he was. 
but his whole demeanor was that of the father. It was a father who had taught them. He would talk to them, ask them questions and so forth, and recognize them. They recognized him in the community. Because he was a teacher and had the image of being a father to these kids that he was dealing with on how older, late teens, you know, they get into that 16 to 22 area, they're 16 to 22, 16 to 24, kind of there's more problems. Maybe they're a little older, they live a little mm -hmm. older in uh, Lynchburg, into their early 20s. Um, he was able to settle everybody down because they trusted him. And that was because of his investment into their lives without accusing them, without judging them, was trying to find out what was making them tick and to try to be a problem solver uh, without, you know, using violence or abuse back at them. And um, what I was trying to get back to is the thought being that um, the spirit behind defunding the police or taking the police out of the, out of the picture is an attempt to not allow that trust to develop and not allow the effect of the trust developing in the community uh, just tears the community apart into lawlessness. Uh, I was listening to the radio, I think it was Dan Bongino, and he was describing one of the Democratic mayoral candidates in New York City was and on their particular woman on our platform was looking to take the, uh, the guns away from the New York City Police Department. How insane is that? I mean, idiotic. They're not going to have a police. Forget about the funding them. There was nobody wearing a uniform. And all these these um, thoughts that get tried to get implemented into actions are a, a attempt to um, really stop the kingdom of God moving on the earth. And the things that you were doing was bringing the kingdom into those communities. And then the, peace, the police would follow at your heels. And we would do anything as you know, people love to pray and support that type of activity, what was good for, for the people. And to really take the stand against uh, those people who are um, um, trying to do the opposite. In fact, in a lot of the communities, if you have these um, boards where you can, where they want to defund the police and uh, you want to ha have their voices be heard, They'll, they'll just shoot, shot you, uh, shoot you down, I guess. They'll stop you from, they'll silence you, that's the way. They'll silence the voice, they're trying to silence the voices of reason against exactly. their, their agenda. That's exactly true. Against their agenda. Um, and that's happening throughout the United States in all these local communities. It's shocking to me how many people are on school boards and these different local community boards that are so extreme in their positions uh, with the intent of dismantling the fabric of our society. You know what it comes down to? A lot of it is the activist. There are some, I would say there are some bad apples in the police department. Uh, one of the individuals that uh, we had to pick up pieces from was a lady that was a, a policewoman in, uh, down in, near Valley Green. And she was actually working with the gangs and she would drive around in the police cruiser with a gang leader in the car and pull up to talk to other gangs that were on the street. And that guy would shoot him. She's, she's doing, I think she's doing like three life sentences right now in the federal penitentiary for this. She went to you know, jail for the rest of her life. But that kind of thing begins to make individuals not trust 
you know, not trust the police. And then plus all the rhetoric that's going on, the anarchy, you know, the direction of the man of lawlessness is to just bring constant ideas that are just not true. They're just absolutely not true. But at a certain point, <laughs> yeah, there, at a certain point, there's no ability to combat them because it's a, you know, they used to always talk about something that what they call the Arab streets over in the Middle East. They believe all kinds of stuff. If it doesn't rain today, they believe that it's because America made it not rain. You know, if they needed rain. If it rains today and they didn't want it to rain, then America made it rain. So they've been taught all this kind of stuff. And instead of questioning what they're being taught, they just automatically buy it and react in a bad way. Well, the same thing is true about what's going on now, with, especially with the Black Lives Matter and the defunded police department movement. And Antifa. And Antifa, which is not really a new thing. If you go back to when, when I was growing up in the 60s, the Black Panthers used to have a thing called Kill a Cop a Day. They had a movement where they're killing police all the time. And what happens is you get this combination of the you know, radical groups like Antifa, Marxists, and then you get the other side of it, which is actually uh, the Black Lives Matter, which are the same thing, but they're just doing it under the, the kind of veneer of, of color. So you get this thing, and all of them are pressing towards anarchy. What they want to replace what we have with is a system that they're calling anarchy, but will in effect be, uh, become a police state is what they're, what they're wanting. But they want people to, to sucker into it now. So they do it, especially in areas where people are most vulnerable, which are these areas like public housing areas and inner cities. If you take away the police and you go into a state of anarchy, which is exactly what's happening, yeah. then the alternate effect is to bring in a federal force mm -hmm. or some overriding force that claims to give you peace, when really what it's designed to do is to take away our freedom. Yeah, that's that, that you know, this... The progression of governments talked about in the, among the Greeks still applies today. You start out with that constitutional republic and you go to a democracy, which is a disintegration of the republic, you know, pure democracy, and then you go to anarchy. And these areas are tyranny. These areas are one party areas, completely controlled. And so uh, I, I'd be honest, I don't know how policemen can even put on the uniform of some of these areas because they're never going to be backed up. It doesn't matter how many times they're shooting at you, if you shoot back, or how many times they're shooting at somebody else, if you try to stop it, you are always going to be on the bad end of the deal. Mm -hmm. But I will say there are police out there that understand this demographic. Oftentimes they're not given a voice because the guys who run the police department are not the police. The guys who run the police department are politicians that are sitting in the, in the mayoral office and the commissioner's office that tell the police what they can and can't do. And so, and like you see some of the riots that have taken place in the last year, they weren't even allowing these police to wear body armor while they're having bricks thrown at them. They're just being pounded. Many of them went to the hospital. And so... Yeah, uh, they had seven or eight hundred people around yeah. the policemen police around the country were injured. Yeah, and, and some, of them and some of them yeah. killed. Many of them killed. So we have, this, we have this anarchy that we're heading to. The answer is to look at it the way God, God set up. Uh, God set up authorities, proper authorities. And, and it says they do not bear the sword in vain. And those proper authorities are there for a proper system of law and order. But what these anarchists want to do is escape the concept of law and order. They want to have no law and order. It's the difference between God loving government 
mm -hmm. and hating politics. Yeah, it is exactly true. Right? Just like he hates religion, but he loves his people. <laughs> yeah. So there's a spiritual connection between God the Father and his people that is interrupted by the spirit of religion, which interferes with that relationship. And the political leaders that we have and experienced in our own country have interfered with true government functioning the way government was supposed to function. And how is that supposed to function? Well, we had the three branches, and it says in Scripture that God himself is the lawgiver, which is the, the Congress, let's say. Uh, he is the judge, which is the Supreme Court, and he's the king, which is the executive branch. So we have the three branches. So the, the structure from that point of view is biblically correct. The problem is the people that are in those positions are all been compromised. They've either been bought off or blackmailed to, to function according to exactly. the New World Order, the globalists, and the cabal of central bankers that are paying them off and putting people in position that will just be puppets and just do what they say. So that, as the conditions that we have, I mean, the good news, I think, that we should report to a people in terms of where we're praying is for the glory of God to fall on our country. We need the glory to come down. We need the glory to come down in such a big way to permeate. And I think the Lord showed me one time that it's happening from outside the cities into the cities. It won't start in the cities. It'll start in like the rural areas and then move from the rural areas into the suburban areas, into, into the cities, from the towns and the countryside into the cities. But it's the spirit, it's the glory of God falling, which is sets everything that the enemy has raised up against him. All the anti-God forces begin to fall because nothing can resist the presence of the glory of God, even as it, it moves like a mist through the area, through the land. And that movement of the glory of God moving as a mist through the land, anybody that's not connected to it just falls. You know, they, they lose all their energy and all everything that they're standing for. And those who are the sons of God will be revealed. And that's why I keep pushing for this idea of the sons of God being those who understanding the heart of the Father and act and behave like he does. You know, one of the things that we've seen in this earth before was the flood of Noah. And the flood of Noah occurred, the scripture tells us, because the thoughts of every man's heart was violence. Mm -hmm. You know, just taking over the whole entire world. And God never got rid of the Noahic covenant. He added to it on how it can function. But the Noahic covenant said, if man sheds blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And we, in a sense, in the modern era, somehow think we are nicer than God. That the principle of the idea that a person has to pay for the murder of another human being doesn't matter. What we don't realize, the scripture tells us, that the blood of the innocent cries out to God from the ground. And eventually what happens in a society that doesn't stop the shedding of innocent blood, and that includes abortion, that includes murders on the street, if you don't stop the shedding of innocent blood, God eventually moves you out of power and moves in somebody else. He moves in another nation, just like he did with the uh, Persians, just like he did in Daniel's day. He's done this society after society after society, so we need to uh, understand what the scripture says about these things. That Noahic covenant was reconfirmed in Paul's writings in Romans, where he very clearly said that they do not bear the sword in vain. 
The government's purpose is to punish evil and reward good. When they go to punishing good and rewarding evil, then you know corruption and wickedness is in the in the mix. It's the it, I mean the the entire kingdom yeah flows according to certain principles. Exactly. And the principle of seed, plant, harvest mm -hmm. goes through both the kingdom of God as well as well in darkness. I mean, there are reaper angels on the dark side that want to harvest the bad seed that we plant. And they are harvesting it because, because it's a swelling movement. Because the fact that basically the boomer generation gave up the ghost. They gave up the ghost years and years ago. There was a great amount of uh, non-understanding uh, of the things of the gospel that they didn't teach to their children. So that when they did a survey, when Barna did a survey dealing with statistics on preaching the gospel, the overwhelming majority, about 90% of the boomer generation said, yeah, we ought to be preaching the gospel. But their children were only at 50%. And then their children, which we call the millennials, were only at 20%. And then their children, who this next new group of people everybody's all excited about, are only at about 5%, thinking we ought to be out there preaching the gospel to the lost. That's a great diminishment from where we should be. Well, we're waiting for what God is going to do, and we think it's going to happen pretty soon in this next year. Amen. That uh, it's going to turn that situation completely around. And... Uh, it will start with the remnant. We're getting winnowed down to a remnant. So we want to thank you again so much for uh, participating today. And don't forget to listen to the end of this podcast where we're going to have the theme. You can also come to uh, our website where we're located at www.patreon.com where we're giving away free books. And by the way, we're going out another our second book, Luke the Light Bearer Defeats the Spirit of Confusion. It's a book really that addresses the issue of transgender. Um, that will be out another, well, certainly by somewhere between August, probably maybe longer than uh, 30 days. And we thank you so much for listening. And we appreciate um, you spending some time with us as we appreciate and really enjoy doing this podcast. Introducing Nate Utley. Nate is a songwriter and worship leader. He was blessed to collaborate on this new theme song, You Are Mine, I Called You By Name. When you listen to this song, hear your father singing to you a love song. You can find Nate on YouTube at Nate Utley. That's N-A-T-E-U-T-T, that double T's, L-E-Y, as he produces and releases new worship songs regularly. You have hid from me, you have run from me, yet I see you, I love you, and I enjoy you. I'm looking at you with eyes of love. Looking at you with eyes of love
see the goodness in you, my child. Can you see my goodness too? I'm looking at you with eyes of love. I'm looking at you with eyes of love. And I really mean the rock when I made you. Really made the rock when I said your name. I really made the rock when I made you. I really made the rock when I said your name. I see the good in you. I see my goodness in you. I see the good in you. I see my goodness. I know the story will unfold to prove that I really made the rock when I made you. I really made the rock when I said your name. not the father in the corner sitting on the easy chair with my face in the paper just sipping a beer watching tv no time for talking or walking with you i'm the father that's committed to your heart to your best even when you've been sinning oh my child if you could see my face how much i'm grinning your life would change in a moment would let me touch your heart so much better near my heart I see the good in you I see my goodness in you I see the good in you I see my goodness I know the story will unfold to prove that I really when I made you, I really made the rock when I said your name. I'm smiling at you, I'm so proud I made you. I'm never gonna change my mind. I'm singing over you, you are mine. From the moment I made you, I called you by name. I'm never gonna change my mind. change in a moment if you would let me touch your heart your life would change in a moment if you would let me touch your heart it's so much better near my heart i see the good in you i see my goodness in you i see the good in you i see my I know the story will unfold to prove that I really made the rock when I made you. I really made the rock when I said your name. I really made the rock when I made you. I really made the rock when I said your name.